You're listening to Global Questions by YDS, an apolitical podcast that, as the name suggests, asks the big global questions, delving into topics that matter to you with the experts. From diplomats to academics and students, I'm your host, Emma Fabregat. Today, I'm joined by the U.S. Consul General in Sydney, Sharon Hudson-Dean. But then also reflect and say, okay, now that we went through this, what are our overall strengths in the economy? What are our risks and vulnerabilities? We will be discussing topics related to America and Australia's special relationship and how it has progressed throughout the years. We explore concepts such as the importance of close leadership relations, ways in which both nations support each other, mutual concerns over the current pandemic, and the future of our alliance. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself, such as your professional background. Certainly. It's a great pleasure. I have been a diplomat with the U.S. Department of State for 27 years. It's kind of hard to believe, but it's been a really fantastic career. I've enjoyed every moment of it. This is actually my second time in Australia. I did my very first diplomatic assignment here in the mid-90s. So very junior, spent a little bit of time at our embassy in Canberra, and then came to the consulate in Sydney. But then for the rest of my career, I've, I've moved around quite a bit. I have spent time in Eastern Europe. I've done assignments in Moscow, Tbilisi, and Latvia, Riga. I've also done a couple of assignments in Southern Africa and a bit of focus in South Asia as well, including Nepal. So I've had the full range of issues in addition to regions, and that has been something that's made it a very rewarding career. Everything from um, working on democracy promotion to security, um, missile control type of issues, health, a lot of work in Africa on HIV AIDS, and more recently, I've done a bit of work as well on disinformation and the very damaging role that a new type of aggression is having on Western democracies. That's amazing. That's a very wide and fulfilling, I feel like, career path, definitely. I was going to ask, so what does your current job as Consul General entail for somebody that's listening and doesn't really know what type of job that would be? Sure, happy to explain. Uh, Consul general job is the senior diplomatic position in a consulate. In larger countries, we tend to have representations in multiple places. The embassy where the ambassador sits is always in the capital, and they would work on the senior level government to government relations and big policy issues. But in larger countries, uh, we would also want representation in large urban areas which is a consulate. Here in Australia, we have consulates in Sydney, Melbourne, and Perth. And the consulates do um, a lot of focus on consular work. So that's supporting visa issuance, supporting American citizens for passport replacements, or if they have a problem, trade promotion. And in Sydney, that's extremely important. Uh, we have a, our senior commercial officer here work a lot with American and Australian companies. And then a variety of other um, opportunities, getting out to talk to universities, to engage with uh, local citizen groups. We also here in Sydney do a, a bit of work on law enforcement coordination because our two countries are good friends and we get along very well. Uh, we will work on transnational crime, trying to catch the bad guys and stop things, everything from money laundering to drugs to cybercrime. 
And I'm guessing you guys are very busy at the moment, especially with everything going on with COVID-19 and obviously American citizens um, that are either living in Australia or that are trying to return to Australia. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, we have focused our attention very much on the American citizens. Like Australia, we called our citizens home, put out an announcement a couple months ago saying, with everything going on and all of the major health concerns, uh, we would like you to return home. And for those people in places where it was difficult to get out, we've been helping them. Uh, so we've done a few evacuation flights out of the Pacific Island countries. Uh, and actually just um, in the, this week, another flight uh, came through Sydney. We were able to get out some more American citizens on their way home. So it just transited here, but uh, that was as well something where we had to call upon our our friends and the Australian government to say, listen, we need to get these Americans home. They're going to come through. They're going to transit. Uh, and it has worked out. It's clear that Australia highly values its relationship with America and has even been considered one of its most important and special relationships. So what would you say makes its relationship so unique and important? Yeah, that's a great question. And you phrased it exactly right. It is unique and it is very important uh, to both sides. We highly value this relationship. And part of my job is working every day to reinforce it and to expand that because it is so important. I would say there are three major factors as to why our relationship, uh, the U.S.-Australian relationship, is so good and so deep. The first one goes to our long history of being friends, and that is in large part tied up with our security relationship, beginning with the Battle of Hamel in World War II, where an Australian general, General Monash, commanded U.S. troops. That was a big deal for us to put our troops under command of another country. And since then, we have fought together in every major war and conflict of the last 100 years, and 100 years plus at this point. And so on that side, we have shared our security concerns. We have shared information uh, at a level that we don't do with very many countries at all. And we've continued to build on that through a process of sitting down and saying, listen, our national securities are tied to each other. We want to work together to make this world stable and safe, and we'll do that. And that's been built on by our the ANZAC Treaty that underpins all of our work in the military. But going beyond that, it's much deeper. The second part beyond that, the security is the economic relationship. Uh, we have a tremendous economic trade and investment relationship with Australia. The United States is Australia's largest economic partner. If you count everything together, we value the whole relationship at, at around $1.3 trillion. So that is investment, that is job creation, that is tax payment, that is R&D research, all of this stuff that American companies bring over here, but also that Australian companies take to the United States. And that continues to grow. And then finally, the values piece. We are democracies and we share a lot of things in common we believe in equality, or as you say here in Australia, having a fair go, that people should be able to go out, get an education, work hard, advance, move forward, expand whatever their ambitions are. We believe in free speech. We believe in personal liberties. 
We believe very much in the rule of law. And so when Australians and Americans do business together, it, it's about having a contract that can be relied upon into the future so that we trust each other. And we also have institutions that in many ways are similar and that we trust in. So all of those things together make us very close friends and reliable partners. Yeah, and we've definitely seen that throughout the years. I mean, even if you compare with our relationship with the United Kingdom, I would say that compared to the United States, to an extent, we value our relationship with the United States much more now today than we once did with the United Kingdom. Not to say that it's replaced, but it's definitely grown like a stronger relationship over time. Yeah, and and also there's with new elements being added onto the historical stuff, the travel and tourism, a lot of the cultural elements. There are, are things that are shared back and forth. Sports, uh, for example, you know, we have some fantastic Australian sportsmen that are doing very well in American professional athletics. And the interest is, is high here. I've got contacts here who will stay up until the middle of the night to watch a basketball game in the U.S. and they just love it. And I would note on the other side as well, uh, Americans have a very warm and sincere place in their heart for Australia and think of whether it's Hollywood actors or musicians and groups. Uh, I remember well when I was growing up and uh, the Crocodile Dundee was a big deal. (laughs) And the the big oil cans of beer (laughs) and all of that was something that everyone just loved. It was like, oh, that's really cool. (laughs) It's Australian. Very true. And so that brings me to my next question, which is when it comes to the current Australian prime minister and America's president, the media has consistently noted a particular bond between the two leaders. How important would you describe as a personal bond between leaders in relations to affecting or even determining a relationship between two states? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's a really interesting element to diplomacy and and foreign relations and and even politics. Um, Something that I really enjoy personally reading about when I read um, biographies and history because it, while it is not the only element and you can have good relations um, if it's not there, a close personal relationship between two leaders will definitely help. And it is something that we see today. Prime Minister Morrison has built a very good relationship with President Trump, as well as with a number of senior leaders in the United States, uh, including Secretary of State Pompeo. And it's become very obvious in, in a very good way Uh, I would note in particular the state visit by Prime Minister Morrison to Washington, D.C. last year. Uh, The White House, this Trump administration White House has only hosted two state visits in, in its time in office in four years, and this was the second one. So that right there shows you a lot. But not only that, they went all out for it. And that is not something that would have been done unless the leader and the country were really special and President Trump wanted them to know we really value you. So I I was not there, unfortunately, I wish I was, but our ambassador did go for that. And he described the state dinner at the White House as one of the most magical evenings. I'll just quickly tell you a little story. It was held outside 
very select guest list, but senior administration officials and members of Congress and business leaders were there. And of course, the prime minister's delegation. They had, I believe it was over a hundred members of the US military orchestra. So our military has a lot of um, very good musical groups, excellent musicians. And so they came from all the different branches of the US military. And at one point they arranged all the musicians around the White House, including um, standing on the roof. And they all played Waltzing Matilda. And it, it just gives me chills even to think about that. Um, uh, but so that is something that it's impressive and um, really shows respect for the culture and shows the personal nature of the relationship. But I should say going beyond that, the number of discussions, the really serious conversations over critical issues of the day, all of that is happening on a regular basis at the high levels and at more mid-levels and working levels as well, which shows the strength and the importance of the relationship. Hi, I'm Kelly, the Marketing Communications Director for The Young Diplomats. I'm really excited to invite you to our upcoming event with Consul General Michael Clyde, who is from the US Consulate in Melbourne. He has had an incredibly varied career in the diplomatic course, and so we will be discussing his career experiences, the historic US and Australia relationship, as well as giving you an opportunity to ask him your questions. You can find out more information about this event via the link in the description below this podcast, or you can check out our socials at The Young Diplomats. This event will be happening on Tuesday, the 18th of August at 3pm. So please go register as quickly as possible as spots are limited. We'll see you there. Yeah, of course. And I'm, I'm assuming that by having a very strong bond between two national leaders also gives a good example to the rest of the working force behind those states. So whether it's diplomats to anybody working in the relevant field. Yes, absolutely. And I can just tell you personally, I've really enjoyed getting to know my counterparts here, uh, work very closely with the people from Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, as well as Austrade. Uh, as well as at the state government level. It, it's very much a, a relationship based on trust and based on doing business together for everyone's benefit. Yeah, because at the end of the day, policies or agreements are made between people. So it always has to be through a strong bond. So that leads me yet yeah, to my next question, which was the global pandemic we are currently facing as we speak has had a massive and ongoing impact worldwide on our economy and social issues such as rising unemployment. Um, COVID-19 has indifferently affected all nations around the world in varying degrees and rates. What is shocking is the disparity when we compare the United States' current situation to Australia's. Although it is important to highlight that America has a population around 13 times greater than Australia, could you give us an overview of maybe how and why America has been one of the countries most affected by the virus? Yeah, the, U the United States, as you noted, is a large country and it is fairly densely populated. We do have a large population and some multiple major urban centers. Uh, the other thing that's important in looking at the United States is how our structure is set up with 50 states, who all have 
very distinct elements of what they're responsible for in terms of state government uh, and certain areas that they control and the way the system is set up, which is different than smaller countries and also different than countries that are large but have a more authoritarian government approach. And so our system has always been different in that sense. It's been very, it is an open country. There's a lot of travel and a lot of movement. Um, we've always been one of the countries that ranks highest in terms of our citizens not living in one place, but moving around more frequently, changing jobs and changing homes. And in addition to that, um, being quite open in the with tourists and business visitors and uh, students coming in, etc. And so that makeup of the population also makes it vulnerable in some ways to when something like this comes through and how do they respond and how does everybody work together. Now, I would like to emphasize that there has been a lot of communication and everyone has been working together, the states within themselves and then talking on the federal level. Also, it's very important to note how active our private and non-governmental and faith-based sectors are. They have been extremely active in engaging with their groups and then with the governmental authorities on all different levels. And that's an important thing to understand as well about our system that we rely heavily on the private sector in many places and many elements of, the, of society for moving forward. Something to keep in mind the structure of the country and also how we're getting ahead of it. I've been keeping track of certain states. My son is right now in Rhode Island. He's a student there, a university student. And the governor of Rhode Island has been working very carefully to get ahead of their infections and been doing pretty well. Uh, my son is feeling confident. He's living uh, in a student housing, not official, but uh, in a group house right now. and recently was able to actually find a summer job. And so we're thrilled about that. So things are coming along. And in addition, my, my parents are in Pennsylvania uh, and they've been following all of the rules as have all of their friends, following the guidance from authorities and wearing masks, but still trying to support local business, businesses by doing takeout, those, uh, keeping a little bit of the cash flow moving there. And they also are feeling comfortable and safe so while we, we're keeping track of the numbers, it seems that they are in different areas getting ahead of it. And I think we'll do fine. Yeah. So there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There is. There is. It is a, a large country and we will come out of this just fine. The other thing to keep in mind about the United States is that there's a lot of innovation in the country, well known on, on the Silicon Valley and tech side. People recognize that. But it's much broader than that. Uh, the way our system is set up is to push people to come up with new ideas and then implement them and give them the space to express the ideas and the ability to try something in a new way. That's always been a strength of the United States. And we're seeing innovation coming up at this time as well with companies that have adapted from what whatever they used to produce and now they're producing something related to the, the virus and combating the pandemic, people getting out there to volunteer and assist with distributing things, showing support for healthcare workers. There are a lot of good news stories out there. Do you love global questions? 
then you'd be happy to know that we run events all through the year. Find us on your socials. Search Young Diplomat Society to keep up to date with upcoming events. Definitely. And a global recession will most likely be a consequence of COVID-19. What lessons from the 2008 GFC do you think the American government will implement or is currently formulating to soften the blow of an increasing economic downturn? A couple of things to keep in mind that are very important when looking at the economic side of it. One, to start with, absolutely, the economic side is extremely important. And this is a topic that is being addressed here in Australia. Our leaders are talking about it right now. Uh, We need to get our economy up and going again. uh, And how do we do that safely and securely? but doing it also in a timely way because it, it is very important for everybody's livelihoods. It's important to not do too deep a comparison with 2008 because we don't have the structural issues that came up at that time period. This is, this is a health crisis. And so our government has done the stimulus packages to put money back into the economy. There've been some direct payments Uh, to individuals to help them through, give them a a little bit of a cash injection to pay their rent um, or be able to get out there and handle those bills that are coming due. Uh, There's been additional funds that have been put into unemployment coverage and for small businesses uh, to try to encourage the small businesses to, to keep their employees on and hold on for a little bit longer. Uh, And then some of our larger uh, economic institutions have been focused on increasing liquidity and doing other big economic stimulus type of movement. What I would say, it's very important for us to take this moment in time as we get through this difficult period, but then also reflect and say, okay, now that we went through this, what are our overall strengths in the economy? What are our risks and vulnerabilities? And as part of that larger process, we're looking, for instance, at supply chains and diversification of markets. Uh, That we think is really critical that the way the economy and economic systems have been set up, can we can be very vulnerable if the supply chain only goes through one other country or we rely too much on one area of the world and we need to be able to survive if, if that gets cut off for some reason. And so this is a good moment in time that I hope that we will use ultimately for everyone's benefit. And what would you then say is the role of the US and Australian Alliance amid a global pandemic? This again, where we're talking very frequently and closely about how do we get through it and what are the ways in which we can strengthen each other and our relationship going forward. Um, We've always been there for each other. We need to keep that in mind. Uh, This pandemic came right on the heels of the bushfires where we've worked really closely together with American firefighters coming here and and firefighting assets in exchange uh, as in a way to say thank you for all the help Australia has given us in the past during bushfires. Now we're talking even bigger because it's global. And so we need to talk, continue to engage on, okay, we've faced this, we're getting through it. How do we make sure that we're ready for something else in the future, something that could have another angle to it? Our general approach is that a healthier world equals a healthier United States. 
And therefore, we really have to look at everything, all of the broader implications. We have, along those lines, been giving a lot of assistance and aid from the State Department side, and that's only a small part of the U.S. government. Um, it's been about $900 million that we've been able to push out quickly in different ways to different areas of the world. But if you look at the entire United States, including our private sector and our non-governmental sector, uh, we estimate somewhere around $10 billion that is being pushed out money for research or sharing resources and assets in other places, a whole lot of different initiatives going on right now. One of the things that I would like to highlight that we've done has been making the American scientific database available to researchers online. So we worked with publishers uh, to have any article related to coronavirus be accessible so that people working on a vaccine or other elements of it can go online and don't have to worry about paying for these journal articles, et cetera, but can have access to it and then add to the knowledge. So that, that's on the US side. But uh, in terms of working with Australia, I, I think it's very important. Each of these steps that we've been saying, okay, we're gonna do this, how about you? And what do you think, can we do it together and make that easier? Um, a number of our companies here in Australia have worked with uh, counterparts, whether it's business or Australian government, to get out there and say, okay, well, we're going to switch over our production line and make more ventilators or make more of something else um, to meet your needs. And let's see where else the needs are. Are there other countries around the region that are lacking? How can we work together to get this equipment shipped? We've done a bit as well in the Pacific Island nations. The U.S. has sent about $41 million worth of equipment up to the Pacific Island nations and, and assistance and aid. Uh, Australia is doing something very similar. What changes do you think will happen both politically and socially in America when this global pandemic is finally behind us? Yeah, that's an interesting question because we're seeing a couple of changes, definitely some big changes for the time being. And, and then it's very intriguing to think how the longer term impact will play out. So technology ad adoption is the biggest, most obvious one. Whether it's here or in the United States, people are doing more telework. They're using the different technology platforms to communicate becoming more tech savvy. Uh, a lot of people who never wanted to buy into some of these uh, alternative work methods, that now they have to, and now they're learning it, and we'll move forward with that. Uh, so I think technology adoption uh, is an important one that we can all track. Um, mental health is a big one. So attention to people's mental health, general health, of course, I mean, that's obvious in, in a pandemic, but how has this major change in our day and in our interaction with others impacted us? Some, some people are really suffering. Uh, there's attention, a lot of attention being given to that in the United States. I know it is a big issue here as well. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, we'll have more focus on that. Uh, I'm hearing a few things from businesses. We'll see how this plays out, uh, but the question, big questions being raised, and you, you see it in the front pages of the newspaper as well. Uh, there was a big story 
uh, in one of the major Australian newspapers today on the front page regarding office space. Many companies have said, well, you know, we send our folks home, they're teleworking, it's working out. Do we need all of that office space in the future? In addition to that, um, travel, work travel, business travel. I previously did a lot of internal flights because I cover Queensland as well. That has not been happening. I'm eager to get back to Queensland when when uh, that's allowable, but that's another possibility as to whether or not the business travel that was quite fluid and, and vibrant before, will it go back to the same levels? So there are a lot of interesting questions out there. I don't know the answers. <laughs> Everyone's trying to figure it out, uh, but we shall see. I think it's definitely changed the dynamic and the way people probably communicate and interact later. I feel like a big part of it has been, like you said, the adaptation towards technology. I think most people, you know, having to go in for meetings, people now realize that you can probably do meetings over Zoom or over Skype and it's not as bad and it's probably going to save you a lot of time than if you have to be going in person. And yeah, we're definitely lucky that we have the technology we do have today to stay connected with people. I think that's definitely been a big one. Very true. I'll tell you one other thing. My son, who is, uh, as I mentioned, a third year university student, he absolutely hates online classes. He wants to be back in the classroom. He, in fact, he's talking about if his university decides to stay online in the new semester starting in September, he says he'd rather take the semester off. So that that's, we'll see. Well, they haven't made a decision yet. Um, and I don't necessarily want him to take a break in his studies. Um, but I do understand what he's talking about. Yeah, me too. I think you can definitely get better connections with people when you are face-to-face because not only can you read body language better, but it's just more of a personal connection. And then finally, I wanted to ask you, where do you see the U.S.-Australian alliance heading in the future? Yes, uh, I think we are definitely getting closer, which is a great thing to say, given that we're already very close in our relationship and in our alliance. And a lot of it is related to working together and building confidence in the future as the future develops with these new things we've been talking about um, just now. We are really critical partners for security, not only our own national security, but in the region. We have a very good agreement on protecting the sovereignty of countries, democratic norms, believing in freedom, uh, wanting there to be prosperity throughout the region. This is part of our Indo-Pacific strategy and which we have shared broadly and that we have conversations with, with Australia all the time. And we have this sort of very good relationship where if there is a disagreement, we can be, can be frank and discuss it and come through it and still be partners. And in terms of economic growth, I think that's an area where we really want our two countries to work together because we have these very strong trade and investment ties, because uh, there's a lot of confidence on both sides of the Pacific in terms of doing business with each other and continuing to grow. That I think is an area where right now in particular, as we try to get our economies back moving again. Um, we want that to be strong and focused on a better future. And that's on both sides. So we're talking about that all the time. Of course. 
And during this podcast, do you think there's anything else that would be relevant to speak about? Well, I would just encourage your listeners, if you are involved in international relations or a student of it or in any way working on international ties, now is a critical moment for us to stay strong and connected and in communication with each other. This is a very difficult moment in history that we're coming through. Australia has done a tremendous job. I have really appreciated being here in Sydney during this very challenging time. I'm very grateful to all of the health and government authorities that have handled it really well here, keeping us safe and healthy and with open communication. And that's how we should be moving forward um, on both sides. Open communication, transparency, working together to develop a vaccine, uh, to get our countries on track, uh, and to stay friends. Definitely. I, you said that perfectly. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time today, and I will be speaking with you soon, I'm sure. <laughs> Wonderful. It was so nice to meet you uh, over, the, over the podcast. If we've sparked your interest or you want to hear more about a certain topic, contact us through our social media, website or links in the description. This is Global Questions, and thanks for listening.